Glad you could join us for episode 97 of Fatalist. My name is Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we enter what looks to be at least an eight-month hiatus until Lost Girl returns. Yeah, this is so I knew you were going to drop off some awkward point. This this happens every week. But yes, it will be probably an eight-month hiatus. And so in the meantime, we're going to go back into the world of Dark Angel. Yeah, absolutely. And and we'll have an announcement in, you know, I don't know, a week, maybe two weeks about, uh, you know, there is going to be life after Lost Girl for Fatalists. Yes, there so, will be. There just won't so, be life after Lost Girl for Lost Girl, right? Exactly. But uh, as you just alluded, tonight we return to our discussion of James Cameron's cyberpunk series, Dark Angel, starring Jessica Alba and Michael Weatherly, a series that, while it did receive two full seasons and 43 episodes, was cut down in its prime with much story left to tell, apparently. Wait, that uh, sounds like a fantastic idea for a podcast, David. I hear you. It's funny, when we did that, gosh, how many years ago... Uh, I don't think we included Dark Angel in that list. Probably not. I'd have to go back and look. I, I mean, I didn't even know what Dark Angel was back then, so I yeah, I probably I didn't either. Surprise if it made the list. Uh, we'd love to hear from you via email at fatalistpodcast at gmail dot com. The website at fatalistpodbean dot com, where you can leave a voicemail via the speak pipe tab. You can also record your own audio clip and send the MP3 as an attachment or just send us a tweet at Fatalist Podcast. But uh, just a couple of things. I, I got a couple of news items, but I know I mentioned Castle from time to time, and obviously you're a big fan big today. Fan. Uh, uh, you're, you're a big fan as well. Today, I happened to see the episode. I'd never seen it. The Halloween episode where he's wearing his costume. He's a space cowboy. Right. And it's his out, outfit from Firefly. Yes. Yeah. Oh, it was awesome. Yeah. And his daughter's like, you know what? You really got to give that up. I mean, it's been, what, five years? <laughs> oh, awesome. Yeah, they, they do little nods to Firefly every now and then. So. Yeah, really awesome. Which so, is, speaking uh, of Firefly, I mean, that would be a good thing to talk about, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, we'll okay, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a couple of weeks. But uh, yeah, not, not to drop any hints. Right, which um, I just did. All right, but yeah, but in a couple news items, so... Is there life after Lost Girl? Well, obviously, there's going to be for you and I. But the answer is yes, as far as genre fans who anticipate a 2015 debut of Dark Matter, a graphic novel brought to the small screen. Not to be confused with the podcast that Michael and I do for Extant, which we also call Dark Matter, two totally uh, different entities. Hey, I had but, a question. Is, has Extant become extinct? Uh, not yet. No, not yeah. yet. It's coming back. Really? But according, it's got a yeah. second season. According to, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, it'll be back this summer. Uh, some somewhat of a new cast, but uh, obviously Halle Berry will be back, and and uh, uh, the guy playing her husband, I can't think of his name, Visniech. But anyway, according to Sci-Fi's website, in Dark Matter, the crew of a derelict spaceship is awakened from stasis with no memories of who they are or how they got on board. Facing threats at every turn, they have to work together to survive a voyage charged with vengeance, betrayal, and hidden secrets. The cast includes Zoe Palmer from Lost Girl. All right. Roger Cross. Uh, you know, what isn't he in? Right, but yeah. mo- right, most recently, Continuum and The Strain. Uh, Mark Ben David from Bitten, Anthony Lemke, White House Down, Melissa O'Neill, Les Miserables, uh, Joel Furlan, Twilight, your favorite movie, and Not. Alex Malari. <laughs> from RoboCop. Nice. Now, as I, 
as I mentioned, it's based on a graphic novel, Dark Matter, by jo- Joseph Malazzi and Paul Milley, uh, who was also aligned with the Stargate franchise. And there's a 13-episode order due to air sometime in 2015. I'm guessing maybe late summer, but they're, you know, really, they're just saying 2015. Okay. Now, so that's showcases making that? No, no. Uh, sci-fi. Oh, sci-fi. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Uh, now, it would also be hard to miss the fact that arguably the most anticipated non-genre film of the year, Fifty Shades of Grey, opens this weekend on Valentine's Day, surprisingly enough. But in case you didn't know, Rachel Scarston appears as Andrea, Christian Grey's personal assistant. Now, I, I think we talked, and, and you, you haven't read the book. I haven't read the book. No, I haven't. I'm certainly not going to go to the movie theater to see it, but you know, I mean, certainly I, I do want to see this film at one. What? At one t- oh, really? sure. Come on. I mean, I mean, didn't you see nine and a half weeks when it came out? Many- not when it came out. It was like 10. Well, I mean, I waited till it was out on VHS. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I but, did see nine and a half weeks. It, it was yeah. not nearly what I thought it was going to be. Uh, no. And obviously ch- times have changed quite a bit in what we've been exposed to, no pun intended, uh, since nine and a half weeks came out, but uh, I'm still intrigued enough to want to see this. I mean, again, I'll wait till it's available, uh, you know, on DVD, but, yeah, uh, I don't know. Uh, I think I'll give it a pass. I don't know unless like, I don't know that the wife wants to see it, but yeah, yeah, definitely don't have a chance to get at the movie theater though. Uh, no, and won't be going out on Valentine's Day to see it. But right. We should go see Sniper on Valentine's American Sniper on Valentine's Day. That would be that'd be a good date movie, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sure my wife would love to see that on Valentine's Day. <laughs> I did, believe it or not. Not that this is like, reflective really of my personality, more along like my just inability to make good judgment calls. But you know, I did take a girl to see Platoon on a date when I was in high school. Wow. <laughs> I'm like, it's a really good movie. <laughs> it's like probably not a great date movie, though. Uh, No. But anyway, tonight we're here to talk about Dark Angel Season 1, Episode 13, titled Rising, which aired on February 13th, 2001. It was written by, well, actually, the story was by Jose Molina and David Zabel, the teleplay by Doris Egan and Moira Kirkland Decker, directed by Dwayne Clark, who happens to be the son of Dick Clark. Really? Yeah, and this apparently was the only episode of Dark Angel that he directed. Oh. So, All right, Dwayne. Now, obviously, for you and I, it's been a while since we've dealt with Dark Angel, uh, you know, two and a half months or so. Mm-hmm. It was really great to get back. And, and obviously, for a lot of reasons, this episode opens up several new storytelling realms. And, and you know, I guess for me at the beginning, it just seemed like it was jumping from scene to scene much more rapidly than usual. I mean, we might stay on a scene for 20 to 30 seconds, but then even though it still flowed, eventually everything tied together. Yeah. And uh, it, it was just kind of like getting back into it and, and, uh, all the characters and trying to remember who everyone was and everything was kind of a, a challenge at first, but yeah, it's, I forgot how, how, uh, the pacing of the show is really bam, bam, bam. Right. Like it's always, every time you get to the end, you're like, really, it's, it's done. Like, yeah, yeah. It usually is quick, but it, it, the first half of the show was even quicker than usual. But, um, but you know, we did have this overarching theme that, that she, articulates at the end of the show and 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 that is of change and and, you know the whole thing with kendra and walter original cindy 
herbal, and, and of course, maybe most importantly, uh, Logan. And, and for Max, it's a lot to deal with. And, and at the end, you know, we'll get there in a little bit, but at the end, you know, she realizes that, you know, that that's part of life. So, right. But she's still not sure how to deal with it, but as you're saying, we'll yeah, get to it at the end. Right. Right. But that's what, uh, I think the beauty of it. Sure. So, you know, opening, opening scene, uh, Logan meets with his doctor. And if we were, you know, we've talked in the past about who the first lady of sci-fi is. We've never talked about who the first gentleman of, of sci-fi is and brian markinson would certainly be in the conversation he's most definitely would be in the conversation for sure um yeah along with roger cross yeah, roger cross and uh, up there everywhere yep but he's there to to meet with his doctor about the fact that he thinks he's got feeling in his leg and was able to move his toes a little bit and right when and, we you know, saw at the, the end of the last episode right he did he like jam his foot or bump his foot and he was like ow and he's like wait what <laughs> Right. Feeling. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, I don't know. Maybe I'm a dope. I, I guess I just thought he was probably going to be in the wheelchair, maybe even for the entire series. Yeah. Well, I would just like to, you know, go on record as saying I totally called that they were going to get him out of that wheelchair. Um, yeah. And I think you and I have talked about it before and you did, you, you know, you did mention that. Right. And, and part of it, I guess, you know, Maybe we should have a problem with it that, oh, you know, for him to be a legitimate, and they even kind of go along with this at the end, for him to be a legitimate love interest, he can't be in the wheelchair. And I, you know, completely disagree with that. Um, I thought it had been a lot more interesting and, and uh, you know, kind of make a statement there if they could have gone along with continuing this romantic thing that's going on between him and Max, but also leaving him in the wheelchair. But uh, that's obviously not the way they went. They, you know, as you can see with like the the sexual tension, the minute he stood up is like immediately ramped up to eleven. You know, right? Sure, but but you know, and again, as we've said, we've never seen this, so so these are first watches for us on on every episode. I wondered if it's going to be the kind of thing where he gets back the use of his legs, but it ends up being temporary. So you know, we'll oh, see. That, yeah, um, that could be. That could be. But. Um, but the doctor tells him that, you know, spinal damage just doesn't repair itself and, and, uh, it must be some sort of phantom sensation, but then he brings up that, uh, unusual aspect of Logan's blood work and the whole idea of plura, pluripotence, Pluri. which I'd never heard yeah. of. Pluripotence. Pluripotent stem cells. Uh, they're basically, um, you know, as, as he said, that cells that can be, um, can basically replace pretty much anything, uh, any of the, the three different layers in the body of tissue, like tissue and muscle and bone and all that stuff. Um, so it's, there, there are uh, a real thing, which I thought when he first said it, it sounded like kind of like a made up word, but it's, it's an actual thing. Um, they, they're not the embryonic stem cells. So they, these are induced, like they create them, um, artificially, at least partially, um, and, but they have not been, you know, they're still like really sketchy about like, they realize there's things that they can possibly do, but one of the things they can possibly do is cause cancer as well that they've discovered. So they have not been, uh, you know, legalized, I guess, I don't know what the word, uh, for in the United States. Okay. But, you know, the doctor does mention that, you know, that the, the beauty of them is that they can become any type of cell that the body needs. 
and that his blood is coursing with them that kind of begs the question. It's like, I'm a little surprised he didn't insist on running some tests right. on his. Well, you, know? you seem to have a lot of these pluripotent stem cells in your body. I, that might be why you're healing. We're just going to let it go. You know, like, right. like really like, dude, this is, this could be your career here, doc. You could be like, right. you know, but, you could be on Oprah. Right. But he figures it out. Logan, that is. And, and you know, the, the final scene of the opening scene, we're back at Logan sitting on the couch, feet outstretched as Max is moving his toes. And, you know, uh, you know, you mentioned the whole end of the episode where, you know, he's standing and looking into each other's eyes and all of that. But, you know, this was kind of a, a an intimate scene in and of itself, you know? Sure. Yeah. Well, and that and like the next scene with the blood transfusion with the, you know, seat across from each other at a table with just the candle between them and everything. Um, yeah, there's a lot going on here where, I mean, you know, you, you can't miss that there's sexual tension between the two of them. Uh, it's obvious they're, they're not hiding it and everything. And, uh, you know, just, but it's, it's at a kind of, initial almost kind of innocent level like right now right yeah yeah and and i mean you know that line you know you did this max when you transfused me and she mentions well you know of course it makes sense because we were designed to recover from injuries quicker uh and it repaired the nerve damage and all that but i guess what i really found interesting in this scene is that we understand why he's reluctant to tell her how he feels because he feels you know, being in the wheelchair, uh, you know, he's somehow less uh, of what he has been his whole life, obviously. But for her, you know, it's that fear of closeness, you know, that that she even mentions to original Cindy at the end. And that's an ongoing theme we've talked about through this show, this kind of dichotomy between, you know, like as she says at the end, you know, I just need to get away from you guys because I'm dangerous. There's bad people are always going to be kind of coming after me. And on the other hand, that that need to form like you know relationships and family units, yeah. and and we've seen that time and time again. That was her big beef with Zach. You know that was their argument with each other, and uh, and she's always going to be torn, obviously. And you know we see it's, you know it's 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 not something we haven't seen in other shows where the. And Lost Girl actually has this as well, right? Where the hero, on the one hand, needs to kind of step out on her own. But on the other hand, she has people that got her back, basically. And um, and they're important as well. So it's, you know, and, and that adds tension and drama for the hero. Because, you know, if Max was just on her own, she didn't have to worry about anyone else. It'd be a boring show. Right, she just go out well, there. Well, true. Kick the crap out of the bad guy every week, but uh, but there's drama because she has people behind her who, in a, can help her out, but also b, can be threatened. Well, sure. Well, well, you mean she feels threatened? See, I mean that's my thing. Is like she's afraid to reveal her feelings, yet she's not afraid to you know take on three super soldiers. Whereas you know, for instance, Bo, I don't know that we've necessarily seen her afraid of really anything. I mean, certainly not of expressing her feelings. If she wants something sure. sexually, she generally just just does or it. emotionally or anything. Like Bo just sure. uh, we saw it in the last episode, right? That uh, yeah. you know, like um, you know, Bo just goes and get you know, and she 
wants to be in a relationship with Lauren, she kind of suggests it, right? But yeah. uh, and but she, yeah, she goes for it, right? She doesn't hold back, and and certainly Max is is much different in that way that um, she's not great with interpersonal relationships, and and right. so she's still trying to figure that whole bit out. As she tells Cindy, "I've never had a friend before," right? Right. Sure. Um, well, listen, speaking of interpersonal relationships, uh, one of the first scenes we see, Max returns home and sees Walter and Kendra behind the curtain, and, and we hear something about handcuffs, and, and, and oh, she's pissed. She pulls the curtain away, no pants with on Walter. Kendra's got the handcuffs. I guess she's got them off at that point. And, of course, Max thinks he's back to shaking them down, and it turns out, wow, 600 a month. Now, maybe that was for the whole building, I guess. But because uh, I can't imagine where six, Max and right. would get six hundred a month, yeah. but uh, regardless, but it was set in the future, so you know maybe just true. To- uh, but it turns out it's not what Max thinks, although it still disgusts her <laughs> on several levels. Uh, she and uh, Kendra and Walter ran into each other at Dunkin' Donuts. He apologized. Well, it turns out he's also Mister Multiples. Yeah, uh, and that was awkward. I, I get, Right. And, you know, it's just that she thinks he's a sweet guy. And look, at this point, I believe, like Kendra, that he has changed and that they do have this nice relationship going. And, you know, like she tells Max, just, you know, be happy for us. Yeah. But, you know, still, like Kendra, it's not that she's, you know, without her own assets. So what the hell? You know, like not that I'm saying like, you know, like a younger, good looking girl can hook up with an older guy who's out of shape and, you know, but well, sh- there you go. I guess it takes right. all so, types, you know, it, it's uh, right. Exactly. But obviously Max is uh, still somewhat put off. Um, now, you know, again, we've alluded that, that Mac uh, Logan regains feelings in his legs and and at the beginning of the episode he he's really pushing it too hard and crashes into his computer desk and you know swipes everything off the desk onto the floor uh bling comes in helps him back into his chair but but clearly again like Bo, logan needs to exhibit some patience he does and well, he just, yeah, well, I mean, it's in a way, it's understandable because he wants to walk again, right? He's really anxious to do that. And, you know, as we see at the end where uh, Max says, you know, we need to kind of take it slow. He's like, no, I don't want to take it slow. I want to go fast. You know, so this just seems like that's kind of his personality as well. I mean, as eyes only, right? He's a guy who likes to take risks, who likes to get out there. He's not the kind of guy who hangs back and is you know, lets things pass him by. Right. He, and he wants results and he doesn't want to wait too long to, to get right, them. Right. Well, and that's the other thing about this episode that it's a lot of people that are willing to take risks from original Cindy to herbal with his uh, speech patterns <laughs> and uh, changing uh, certainly Kendra putting herself out there with Walter. But you know, the, the other thing though, that he's not willing to risk, he calls, I'm sorry, she calls Logan to see if he wants to meet her and her friends at the club, but he's doing his whole sit alone in the dark thing and doesn't even answer the phone. Yeah, so. just, I understand he's a little disappointed, but he's now just being petulant. Yeah, that's childish. 
Yes, yes, yes. Uh-huh. So, well, listen, we got two main stories in this episode. The, the story with the Red Series super soldiers who are after Max. And then, I, I, you know, I think the, the story with original Cindy going out on her own, leaving the fold and really being the first one to step out from Jampony was a pretty significant story, even though it ended up connecting to the Red Soldiers, uh, Red Series soldiers story. Yeah, kind of. But I think, yeah, yeah well, it, was, well, it was there mostly, as you said, just to show Cindy, you know, developing as a character. You know, we, we've kind of got a little bit, but mostly what we've got seen from Cindy are kind of like the, you know, the, the, the funny side and the light side. And now we see her serious and getting out in the world and trying to make it. Um, and uh, we get to see a lot more of, of Cindy in this one. It was really good. Right. And also the whole being yourself where she eventually throws away the script is herself and, and had the red series soldiers not burst in, she probably would have made a sale. Yeah, to that's that what one I'm saying. Guy. Like, you know, did it work? Like you know, she should have given it, given it. I'd like to see her having more of a chance of, uh, you know, doing sales as herself, but you know, yeah. Now, the, you know, where we first see the red series soldiers, I, I guess I don't understand the whole deal. Okay. Th- there's three of them. I get that the one is, has, you know, apparently ready to expire. Why do, why do they have to burn them uh, to get the, the well yeah I guess why they could why don't they just shoot them in the head and then dig it out right <laughs> I don't right because that's what Sebastian did right yeah um, um, that's a good question I guess it's more dramatic if you burn them because it, it, is it that's a, a wharf again right it's always like the show always starts like out on a dock or out by the water or something. Yeah, there are a lot of abandoned I mean, I know it's wars. Seattle, right? So, right. you know, obviously it's, you know, near the water there, but everything shady always starts out in the water. How come they can't start sketchy stuff out like in a countryside or, you know, I don't know. Right. And then, you know, his whole dying, I found freedom in service, no regrets. And then the girl, find her. Well, yeah. Dude, you're not in charge. Yeah. The, the the you know the the one guy that's in charge, Johansson. He he knows. Find the girl. We, we got that. But uh, yeah. So, so two survivors are with Johansson, who tells them, you know, I, I guess as they're questioning whether or not they should have done what they did, that you know you knew the risks, and and we find out that they were all on death row. Right. But the problem is, once you get the implant, you're pretty much only going to live six months. So the idea is they need Max because they have this idea that if they can get her DNA, that at least that's what he tells them. But it sounds like they want to use her to breed. Right. Well, that's that was Sebastian's theory, is that they wanted to get her ovum to right. create more soldiers. So they could have, like as I said, a generation of, of super soldiers. Right. And I guess just do a whole bunch of test tubes, right? Yeah. Like, you know, Brave New World, in right? Vitro. Yeah. Which goes back to, I mean, the super soldier business seems to be kind of booming at this time in Seattle, right? Yeah. Because, like, we got Manticore here and now the, the Red Series, and we got all these people wanting to create super soldiers and, I guess, to take over the world. Well, the the other thing is the the Red Series, we find out that physically they're superior to Manticore, but... 
certainly they don't have the longevity. Now, obviously, we know from experience that there were issues with Manticore as well. Obviously, Mac suffers from seizures, although those seems seem to have abated. Although we haven't seen her taking her pills recently, I guess. Like I think you even mentioned way back when. That's probably going to be a dead story. That uh, right? She just gets a know, nice big supply, and we just assume she's taking her pills and everything's okay, right? Right. Um, so we see this new candidate. He gets the implant, and that was pretty cool scene. You know where they they he starts jamming it in, then all of a sudden it just has a mind of its own and it bores itself into his body. Yeah. So I mean, you know, I'm watching this. I'm like, man, you know, the people who made Fringe definitely watched dark angel yeah right because that was the whole thing with uh becoming a uh shapeshifter observer no an observer oh right 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 remember like when yeah. uh they, they you know they put the thing in his head then he became yeah. an observer like yeah i knew i'd seen that before i was like oh yeah fringe so. yeah um but then it also it, it produces temporary seizure effect and then the blood dripping from the eye sockets, that yeah. was uh, it was pretty cool in a gross way. And in <laughs> fact, though, the scene later on when, when you know, Max burst through the window, uh, well, we'll get to that scene, you know, but that, that was one of, visually, it was stunning. Yeah, that was really cool. Um, but, okay, he, he implants himself with the, uh, the little spike, and then he gets up, he's got his power, why does he have to smash the desk? Yeah, you know, like <laughs> bad guys always doing stuff like that, you know, to uh, show their disdain for everyday objects, I guess. <laughs> I guess. And, and you know, <laughs> look, it's like, I, that was pointless. I mean, well, right. not pointless. I get it. So he, now he's like crazy strong and doesn't care about getting hurt. He can just crush a desk like that. But really, you're yeah, one of there, us now. There's probably people out there who could use that desk. There's no yeah. need to break it. If you don't want it, just put it on the curb. Well, I assume Johansson wanted to use it. His stuff was all right. over it, but you know, I guess it's like, okay, <laughs> this is what I want. Um, <laughs> but what we find is that they've got apparently uh, Max's pager, and they don't have it completely they don't have complete records but they're trying to track down the last number that called it and obviously it was at uh kendra's oh, i'm oh, sorry cindy's at, at uh, cindy's right and they track down cindy's i'm gonna call it a hovel i don't know what else to call it and and again why do you have to trash the place why can't you just kind of like it's look through they're just bad like they you know, like if you want like a really bad guy's gotta be bad to the bone right i guess yeah but, that was uh, actually my kind of beef with uh darth maul in the episode one star wars you know uh like i thought he was an awesome bad guy but just not bad enough like really uh, i mean great he kills qui-gon and yeah that, that was bad but they just showed him like doing more evil stuff like you know tracking down the jedis he goes to tatooine and maybe just like you see him just like like doing that kind of stuff like just for no point at all, like killing people or, or or trashing a room or something, just to just to reinforce how truly evil he is, you know. And they don't have any of that stuff. He just they, they fight a couple times, and he's the guy they're fighting against, and so he's bad. And yeah, I don't know. I thought they could have gone further with that. So I get why they have the uh, basically what I'm saying is I get why they had the red series guys just being you know randomly evil and nasty unnecessarily so right yeah oh yeah yeah well let's make a quick detour to jam pony and herbal again there were there were several 
funny episodes, but but not funny, really. Ha ha. But he's making a concerted effort to speak more clearly at the behest of his new girlfriend. And while Sketch is trying to wrap his head around that, original Cindy gets a phone call. Of course, Normal's not happy that she got a call at the office, but she gets off the phone. Clearly, it's been good news. And, and, and I liked Sketch's dialogue. In a dark world, that sounded like some good news. And, you know, when you look around at everything, and it's still, I, I've mentioned this before, I, you know, I mean, you can't spend a couple bucks and buy some paint and paint the walls. And, you know, I, I get that it's after, you know, a, a cyber holocaust, I guess, of sorts and all of that. But even when she was working at the insurance company, how hard would it have been a couple gallons of paint, paint the walls, make it look a little better? But it's almost like they're they're happy to live in this you know, condition. Like everyone or just Cindy in particular? No, just everybody we see. I mean, this, this Washington insurance company, I mean, right. again, I mean, they've got desks and they've got, you know, obviously they've got computers up and running again. Uh, obviously they lost all the data. And I guess the idea is that they're rebuilding uh, databases, but obviously they have computers up and running now. So they've got an office, but it's so grim looking. Yeah, well, that, I mean, that's just the show, right? I mean, that's well, that's the whole I, point. I know, but like they want uh, to be dark and grim, and everything's threatening and dangerous, and you can't do that at office with like pink elephants on the walls, right? Now, in, in a scene that's that's eerily reminiscent of that typical standing over your arch enemy, and instead of just putting a bullet in his head, talking to him, gloating, she comes in and has to, you know, quit. But she can't simply say, hey, I appreciate the job, but I've got this opportunity. No, it's, uh, you know, I want to say something to you. I've been waiting to say ever since I walked in this place, I quit. I'm like, okay. <laughs> well, we put another match to that bridge. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, everyone has. Everyone has some job that they just, they're doing. They just freaking hate, hate, hate. And you're like, feel like trapped in it and everything. And then finally, you find something else, you get another opportunity, and you're like, thank God, and I'm going to just, I'm going to really just, I'm going to go out in a blaze of glory. Yeah, I guess, you but know? I, you know, I mean, certainly one of the things we see in, in this time is that jobs are few and far between, so to a yeah, true. certain extent, they all it are lucky, job, lucky to have. It, it was, but the other thing that comes that, you know, yeah. that, that we really see is that for the most part, they are pretty hard workers, for sure. Now, um, and, and, you know, speaking of hard workers, it's clear that Cindy is a hard worker. I mean, she does need to change her ways, especially her use of the English language. And I, I guess I'm wondering, has she never been around people that spoke standard English? Well, that, that's what I'm saying. I mean, she's clearly kind of entering a different world uh, when she starts working at this insurance company. And she probably doesn't have a lot of experience with that world but you know she's making a go at it but i kind of like how they went with you know like really what cindy needs to do is be true to herself and not stick to the script right exactly yes perfect and 
you know, the, the, the girl that kind of orients her briefly to the job, you know, here's the script. The boss likes you to stick to it here, memorize these. And, and like you said, she has no luck on her first day. And, and in fact, when she meets Max sketch and herbal after work, you know, the idea that she worked a full day and got no money really struck herbal in particular as I, I can't believe that. Yeah, That's just wrong. But yeah, that's just yeah, wrong. Yeah, and got, have you seen the wire? Um, I saw the first two seasons. Okay. So I can't remember. I think it might've been season four, I think, but there's this one, uh, part where, um, the guy who used to be like uh, high up in the police department, uh, is now has left and he's, uh, worked with the school system. He takes a couple of kids from the, you know, again, it's a Baltimore inner city school. He takes them out to dinner. I can't, they had done something. It was a reward for something that, that they had done. And, um, you know, these kids are just completely don't know what to do. You know, like just the, like the lady says, can I take your jacket? The kid's like, no, <laughs> you know, and stuff like that. It was very poignant scene of, you know, like the, the disparity between those two worlds. And that's kind of reminded me totally of, uh, when, you know, when Cindy entered that, that office, you know, there's kind of that same disparity of just being in a place that you were with which you're completely unfamiliar. Right. And it's true. And, and I guess to her credit, she really does make a concerted effort to acquiesce to the company's standards, but eventually she just realizes that that's getting me nowhere, you know, and, and as she's telling, you know, they're at the bar and she's telling, you know, her friends about the job. She also, uh, Max also brings up the thing about Kendra and Walter and then Cindy, it's like, well, you know what? I understand the power of the uniform. And she talks about how she had a girlfriend that was in the Marines and uh, Max comes in. But everywhere I look, Max says, people keep changing on me. And then Cindy asks her, was your squeeze giving you a hard time? <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and, and and Max starts, you know, kind of alluding to the possibilities. And then, well, and he's not my squeeze. But obviously she, you know, almost forgot for a second. Yeah, but it, and that was really funny just because she, you know, I mean, we know Cindy has had experience in the past and the, the ways of love, but, you know, just this, like, she talks, oh, yeah, I had this girl who was a Marine. Oh, yeah, I went with this girl who had, uh, who was older as well and everything. So it's like funny that she had, like, kind of like a ex girlfriend of almost any category you can imagine, apparently. Well, I think she says the, 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 her girlfriend that was older had a daughter that was also hot. That, that was her age. Right, right. right that was right, her right. age. Right. And that was a problem. But yeah. so while while they're at the club, Max goes to get a pitcher of beer, and that's when she sees the soldiers, uh, runs with them in pursuit. And the two of them chasing her aren't fast enough to keep up, but and we think she's going to get away. She jumps into the truck. All of a sudden, the, one, the third guy is up high. He jumps down, and then, you know, we get the uh, fight scene until she drives the stake. I guess, I guess she drove a stake through his chest. Well, she like pushed him back and he fell onto some ah, sticking out like okay. rebar or something. I don't know. Okay. But you but, know, these guys don't go down easy. So it's not like he's, he's not going to die right away. Right. 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 And, and she asks why me and you know, his last words help us live, which really took, took me back to uh, the Ridley Scott movie, Blade Runner. Right. You, you saw that, right? Yeah. It's been with a while. The rep, yeah. With the, you know, the, uh, based on the Philip K. Dick uh, novel where, where the replicants, you know, they have a fixed amount of time to live. And, and it's that, that same kind of help 
you know, basically help us live. And it was kind of poignant, but again, because they've been so evil, as we were talking about a couple minutes ago, it's, eh, no, we're not going to help you live. Well, you kind of see a little bit the beating heart beneath the beast there, right? Because that, that was a poignant line. You know, you're just like, they just, I mean, not that they just want to live, because they are super evil and they're totally going about it the wrong way. You know, if they just come up and said, hey, can we borrow a couple of them? You know, it might. It might, it might work a little bit easier. You know, they could go with the violence later. No. They should have asked first, right? You know? <laughs> yeah. You never know. <laughs> you never um, know. The worst she can say is no, right? But, uh, but yeah, yeah I, that, I don't think it made me sympathize with them, really. But it certainly it showed them being slightly more human. It's, you know, most bad guys are like, why? Just like, because you are you know, like have some nasty final words. But instead, it's like this plea for, uh, for life. Well, you know, it's funny you said that, and I was—I I knew you were going to say it, and if you didn't, I was going to. It, you know, that—that—that that, that whole it made them seem human, and, and yet the whole idea of the super soldier is—is is, you know that hybridization, and Max is the same way, and it you know even comes up at the end when she's really kind of you know bearing her soul to original Cindy at, at Logan's, but they've got a dead super soldier, Max and Logan take him to sebastian who we've seen once before right yeah um i'm trying i don't think we've seen him more than once no just the one time and i think it was didn't he help them it's like right before they kiss right isn't that didn't he help them find something like that island right wasn't that it no, I can't remember. I can't remember. But yeah, yeah, we've seen him before, though. Right. But they take him, and, and he's obviously certainly reminiscent of somebody like Stephen Hawking. Uh, he's in a wheelchair. He speaks through an electronic device. And, uh, you know, we both apparently found out today that this actor, Jade C. Jade C. Bell, is actually a quadriplegic. Right. And, you know, has, like, the, on IMDb, there the other credit besides dark angel was the jade c bell story so i guess they kind of made a movie uh, about his life i guess i don't know so right it's interesting he, there's not a lot out there on him though all right but in, in the show here he's a genius clearly knows a lot about manticore and max and the 12 and while they're but, but talking actually, before we get i just i just need to step in here real quick because um I, I, you probably haven't heard the podcast invisibilia I'm just going to pimp it right now just for a little bit because they did a story on there about this guy uh, in South Africa who, um, you know, basically when he was a kid, he got sick. Uh, He ended up kind of going what they thought was a vegetative state where he couldn't do anything for himself. Parents had to do everything for himself. This was like 12 years he was like that. And finally, he began to able to move and to communicate and stuff. It was like this amazing thing. And, you know, so the whole time they thought that he was not there, that he had no mind, it was just a physical body. But he's like, no, that whole time, that 12 years, I wasn't able to move or speak or do anything. He was completely cognizant and aware the whole time. And it was just, it was, it was, it was yeah. crazy. So it's just wow. really amazing story that kind of like I thought of because he also speaks through like he types stuff down and the computer speaks for him. You know, while they're talking, there's somebody in the next room that's conducting, I guess it looks like an autopsy, but they're removing the implant. 
Sebastian tells them that they're after Max because she's a biosynth. He realizes she's an X5, one of the 12 that escaped. And, and of course, she's surprised he knows so much. And he tells her, well, I've got a lot of time on my hands. Um, <laughs> but they've been told by their handlers, Johansson, I guess, that Max's genetic code can expand their lifespans, which, you know, it turns out is maybe not really true. I mean, that's what apparently Johansson's telling them. But obviously he wants them, as, as we've said, for a different purpose. You know, the, that, and this is where we find out that they're fresh off death row. But the two surviving Reds, you know, they get back, they've lost one of their guys, and they're scolded for losing the impact, uh, for losing the implant. implant. And, and, yeah. and, you know, but they see it as losing a man, which, again, it's back to that humanization. Yeah, well, and, you know, the when earlier the, the one Red dude attacked Johansson, and Johansson's like sneeringly, like you won't kill me because that would be suicide. So, you know, for you know, whatever he has over them, you know, I guess he holds like their I, I maybe this whole thing with Max, he is, you know, is the difference between life and death for these guys. I don't know. Right. Now, uh, you know, so so Logan's trying to figure out, okay, well, how did they track you down at the club and you know, starting to try to put all the pieces together. And then she just asks, was there any change after the transfusion? And he gives her the, well, if there was, don't you think you'd be the first one to know? It's like, dude, come on. Really? You don't have to be a yeah. dick about He's it. He's still but... bitter. He's still bitter. I know. I know. But, still grumpy. Uh, I guess. Speaking of grumpy, somebody who's not, despite having every reason, you know, again, Cindy, uh, she's trying to fit in explains that she pulled way back on the flavor still had no success and then you know max brings up the whole idea well you got to be yourself that's the problem and we see then that scene which again i thought was a wonderful scene where it's the office and she's alone everybody else has gone home so she's working hard she's burning the midnight oil and she's plugging away that tenacity in arguably one of the most thankless jobs there is. I don't know if you've ever done telemarketing. I lasted four hours. Well, they made it us do it when we were in college. They so they would all the athletes would they make us go and we had to spend like an hour or a week for a while going in and, and calling up alumni to try and get donations for the athletic department. Okay. So well, yeah, that sucked. Well, I did it for a local newspaper and. After I had a break after the four hour mark, and I walked away and never came back. Really? Did you go out and blaze a gourd? You like? Uh, you no, know, I just walked away. Bite me! Just, I'm not, this job sucks. I'm gone. No, I just walked away. <laughs> you just and, walked uh, out. Yep, never came back. Um, <laughs> but uh, did you go back you to know, get she, your uh, your your uh, paycheck? I never got it. Nope. You never got. Uh, she, of course, at that time, I think I was making probably about uh, two seventy five an hour, something like that. Yeah, for four right. Hours. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, anyway, she decides. Okay, you know what? I'm going to lose the corporate speak. I'm going to be myself. And that conversation where where we were saying a little bit ago that had she been able to finish the call, she probably would have made the sale. Original Cindy's got you covered like foundation on a drag queen. Yeah. How can you? How can you resist a line like that? Or no daddy, no dollar dollar. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, they make her call Max. And 
clearly, and, and again, Johansson finally figures it out. I'll, you know, he says, you probably tipped her off, which clearly she did, and Max picked up on it. Uh, she leaves enough clues. But yeah, I Carlito was, must have been some kind of code word there, right? All right, and then he's got a friend. Right. But she goes to uh, Sebastian and wants the implant so that she can take on physically the red series. And he tries to tell it's a bad idea. And we find out it's like turbocharging a turbocharged engine. And that if they had six months, you might have six hours. Right. So, you know, a pretty frightening aspect, but at least he has a plan. Well, he does, but she doesn't know that. Like she dives in headlong. She has no clue that this is going to end up with anything besides her you know, maybe being successful or potentially dying, you know, so she just goes ahead and does it without any kind of idea at all that she can and be why? helped. About to help her friend. Exactly. And yeah. it's just like, I, I, again, it's something, you know, uh, it, it's one of the, and, and again, you could argue the same thing about Lost Girl and, and you would be correct. You know, how many times has Bo done? How many times has Lauren, Kenzie done something selfless put themselves i mean kenzie went to hell yes that that was pretty big but yeah there's numerous times that all those characters uh including lauren so haters off our back um have done selfless things and just totally without concern for themselves throwing themselves in harm's way in order to help out one of their friends and you know that's the power of human relationships right yep now, the scene I was talking about earlier uh, that I think was just the golden scene in the episode, Max crashes through the window, and she hits the floor. She's crouched down, and you know it's like you're, you know, wait for it, and she just looks up, but I wasn't expecting the blood, even though I should have. Yeah, and I think I was, because, I mean, we had seen a number of times that the guys, once they I, get the implant I, with the blood... I, I know, but she just looks up and it's, how do I look in red? Yeah. That was pretty badass. It was very badass. But the big thing is, again, we can't forget, and it's easy to forget at this point, that Cindy doesn't know what the hell's going on here. Right. (laughs) She just watches Max. She's going to be like, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Really? You know, Max kills the two reds, leaving the handler with his gun pointed at Max while Cindy. she gets one of them. Right? Uh, well, doesn't she throw a hand grenade at him or something? No, but, oh, only one of them dies. The yeah, other one's right, okay. right, 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 right. Yeah, um, so she's right. So we think she kills both of them because that, right, that but, whole scene. I had to watch that like three times when, with what happened with after Logan hits the lights. There, it's very confusing series of right, events. Right, but they have a plan, right, which is that they have to short circuit the implant, and, and they're going to do it with. Uh, logan's defibrillator that he keeps on his wheelchair i guess and yeah. at this point he has to enlist cindy to go get it Wait, hold on. To- we got we got to take a moment to talk about this scene though it's a crazy scene okay. there's a lot going on right because i mean first of all like through the whole fight and like the guys are like jumping on top of her and just like punching her and punch her and she just like stands up and throws them all off of her that was awesome. Yeah, that was an awesome scene. And then, uh, you know, so Logan is, you know, has to pull himself up because he, he, his chair gets knocked away. So he has to pull himself up to turn off the lights. 
Johansson shoots towards Max, and then the other dude, which I, I, I was trying to figure out, like, what? Because I thought at first it might have been Logan had stood up, and and then he got shot, but no, it wasn't Logan. It was the other uh, red dude who had an, who took an axe to... He gets shot, like, a bunch of times, which doesn't really stop him very well. And then he takes the axe to Johansson, right? Oh, you're right. And in fact, I've got that right in my notes, that we know one of them's still alive. To hear him when he's, he's saying, ah, you know what, they're scum. They don't... You know, I just told them what they needed to hear. Right. Oh, my God, when he swung that axe. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, that's brutal. Yes, and then, br- you know, then but he, brutal he lands, in a good way. Yeah, and then he's like, "No regret." He's just like, "Well, you must have a little regret." <laughs> you know, if you reflect a little bit more on your choices in the last couple months, I bet you can find some regret in there somewhere, buddy. But okay, so after that, then Logan crawls over to Max, who's unconscious at this point. He calls Sebastian who basically talks him through what to do. Cindy's holding the flashlight. And I, and I thought she showed a, a tremendous amount of aplomb to to be as calm as she was through all of this. Well, because in her this words, is, this is whack. Yeah, and this is not her world. It, right. it's, it's one thing for Logan to do it, even you know being a, a paraplegic, but not Cindy. Uh, well, this is even less her world than the insurance world. Right? Oh, my I mean, God, This is yes. like a, a world she didn't even know existed. Yeah, but even Logan was taken aback when Sebastian tells him, you know, you, you got to make direct contact, so you're going to have to cut into her skin. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. A- and then they use the knife as a conductor. Um, but obviously everything yeah. Yeah, works well, out okay. I knew okay. that was coming along next, because I'm like, how are they going to – how are they going to get the paddle to touch the implant? They're like, oh, they can just use the knife. And Yeah, yeah. So um, so then we're back at Logan's. Cindy's clearly shaken. You can see she's pouring coffee, I think it is, and you can see her hands are shaking. Um, and we know at this point uh, Max has no uh, really choice but to tell her the truth, and I'm a little surprised that Logan even implied that maybe she shouldn't tell her the truth. How can you not? Yeah, well, yeah. yeah, right, exactly. It's it's either telling the truth or, you know, you have to come up with, like, some really fantastic lie, which, in all, when you really look at it, the truth is going to sound pretty fantastic as it is, so the lie probably would work. That's what she tells to normal when she comes in late. Right, right, yeah, that was classic. Yeah. He's like, um, oh, this is a big joke to you, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> she just but, told, the, told the total truth. Right, but, we, you know, we know no, that, you know, that, <laughs> that that conversation Max has with Cindy where she admits that her relationship with her was the first time she'd ever felt normal. And I didn't want to ruin it by telling you what my past was, but you know, it wasn't necessarily about trusting you that you would tell somebody, but trusting you that you would see me for who I feel like I am and not what you think I am. Yeah. And I you think know, that's a very human thing of people in relationships who, you know, sometimes you there's there's something you don't want to tell. You know, I don't want them to know because if I tell them this, not that I don't want them to know this, but it, uh, they might not like me. They might think I'm weird. They might, you know, whatever. You know, if they see my collection of Star Wars figures, she might not want to date me a second time. So I'll just yes. keep that hidden. Yep. Yep. Um, Especially and, the ones and, still know, in the boxes. Right. And I mean, a really touching scene is uh, at this point, Max still doesn't know what Cindy's going to do. And, and she's got tears 
streaming down her face. Uh, Cindy, you know, the tears start flowing out of her. And then, you know, she says she realizes Max risked her life to save her, right? She did all that. And then we get the, you're my boo for life. Now, let me see this barcode of yours. Sugar, that's kind of hot. All right. <laughs> Which was classic. Right. Yeah. And, you know, well, you see Cindy at first is like, I got to think about it. You know, like this really, this is a lot to process. And I don't really know how I feel about this right now. And then Max starts crying. And that's the point where Cindy says realizes that despite all of that, you know, this is my friend and she, you know, not only has she saved my life here, but, you know, she's was my friend otherwise, you know, and everything. Well, well, and, Cindy, and so that breaks it down. Right. Well, Cindy even says something about, you know, or, you know, you're not even human. And she's like, well, I'm mostly human, you know, really yeah. just, uh, you just felt so bad for her, but we're back at jam pony the next day. And, and, you know, we, we just mentioned the scene where Max, you know, goes through the, Hey, you know, well, you know what? I had emergency amateur neurosurgery and all that, but Cindy comes in and has to ask for her job back. And I like the fact that normal took her back because that's made sense to do. I mean, she really was probably one of his good workers. So she was contrite enough. He didn't make her beg. She's on permanent probation. She had permanent probation. Yeah, that, right. that was funny. Yeah, you know, I just I, I know you're not crazy about the jam pony scenes, but I like them. I well, they're, I, they're I like the you know tonight. I did the, these. I thought were were really strong. Um, and then in the closing scene, we're at Logan's. Uh, he's in a much better mood. Tells Max he's got a surprise for. Her. Is it a new carburetor? Yeah, flowers. Like, what <laughs> jewelry? And he shoots back, since when do you wear jewelry? And she tells him, well, I'm open to the idea. And I'm thinking like, okay, yeah, are we already jumping ahead to a ring? Okay, maybe. But then- Yeah, well, I mean, this is, again, like the the, you know, the, the sexual tension is is there. It's, it's, you know, the, the, it's like that big elf in the room here, right? Right. And I'm not sure. Look, I really loved the ending, but- it, it it's on the one hand it's like really are you going to make us wait another week uh, <laughs> but well but it is i like how they, they kind of did that where you think they're talking about because like oh exactly. i got something else so there's something else i want to do well what do you want to do and like they're on the motorcycle like oh okay that that wasn't what i thought they were talking about <laughs> well know? well just even when he stands i mean that was obviously his surprise and you're thinking they're they're like you know inches from each other and you're okay they're gonna kiss and then it's like she tells him well there's something i've been wanting to do with you ever since we first met and then yeah they're on the motorcycle or it's on the motorcycle which was was awesome and then in that final voiceover she reveals that whole idea that changes are afoot especially with her and logan and she you know, ends by saying funny what you can be scared of. And and that was kind of what I was alluding to before. It's just, and I find that fascinating about her character that that's what she's afraid of, not, you know, super soldiers that are after her. Right. And, and that's kind of like, I have a problem with a little bit because again, you know, like only now is Logan a viable, you know, sex symbol or a viable love interest right now that he can stand. Oh, now I have to worry about getting close romantically. You know, I just, I don't like that. It seems like you just, you know, no. I, I don't, yeah, I don't like that idea. Yeah. So. No, I agree with you. And, and to be honest, like I told you, I thought 
he was going to spend the entire show in in the chair. And I still thought eventually that they would uh, develop some sort of relationship. So, you know, we'll see. Again, that's uh, while I like that idea, it's not the main interest for me in the show. So, you know, we will see. Um, but, you know, again, really good episode. It was great to get back to Dark Angel. Uh, yeah, not, yeah, yeah. Not, not that talking about Lost Girl was was a hardship because it wasn't. I, as we right. said, those eight episodes I thought were really strong. But good to be back on Dark Angel. Uh, anything we're forgetting to say about this episode? No, I think we covered it pretty well. All right, cool. Well, we want to thank you guys for joining us tonight. We'd love to hear from you about Dark Angel or anything else you think we should be watching emails to fatalistpodcast at gmail.com voicemails via speakpipe which you can access through the fatalist website but we'll be back next week to discuss dark angel season one episode 14 titled the kids are i <laughs> but until then so you know dave sometimes people ask me hey you know wayne why don't you have you ever thought about going and doing your own podcast or something like that and i thought you know yeah, maybe someday I will, because then I don't have to feel so inadequate about being trapped in a place like this. <laughs>